Welcome to Farm Focus, a podcast by the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. I'm William Whistler. This week on the podcast, David Varner, Grant Gulliban, and myself discuss avian influenza in Pennsylvania and the next steps for the virus. How's it going, everybody? David from the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau with my co-host, Will, here. And we also have special guest, Grant from the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. And Grant is here today to talk about HPAI, or high-path avian influenza. Grant, uh, you want to start us off? So I I'm new to the Farm Bureau. I don't know a whole lot about this. Can you do a sort of uh, recap for those who don't know about it and, you know, intro for people who don't know about it, like myself? Well, sure, David. Thank you very much. And thanks to both of you guys for having me on today. We've been trying over the past, I would say, six to eight months to get as much information out to our members about avian influenza, and especially the highly pathogenic type that it can develop into and that becomes highly contagious and deadly to birds all across the country. This uh, particular outbreak that we're dealing with right now first appeared in Pennsylvania in about mid-April of this year. And across the country to date, we've seen over 52 million birds affected, all told, 650 different farms. In Pennsylvania alone, about 36 different premises. And we've seen, you know, again, millions of birds destroyed. And this has been throughout flocks of all types. And I can talk a little bit about that as we go forward. But one of the main issues that we've had here is, of course, you know, birds naturally migrate and wild birds in particular. And a lot of what we have seen with this outbreak has been driven by wild birds, by vultures, black vultures, turkey vultures, eagles, other raptors. And a lot of those birds are mixing in as they have migrated across the across the United States and throughout the, indeed, the uh, the Western Hemisphere here. You know, we have two major flyways that intersect over Pennsylvania, and so therefore, you know, we're sort of in the crosshairs. We have a, a very large poultry industry. Fortunately, though, we also have a, a, I would think, a fairly well-developed system of response whenever we have mass, you know, mass infection, mass mortality incidents, such as what we've seen in Pennsylvania. And we have worked... on behalf of Pennsylvania Farm Bureau, but also working with other groups within the industry, such as Penag Industries, other groups um, and individual companies and and individual bird owners across the state to work on making sure we have robust biosecurity plans in place, that we have a plan in place for the detection and disposal of these birds. And then, of course, our state laboratory system, which has been developed over the past several decades, developed in, in response the old Pennsylvania animal diagnostic system developed largely in response to outbreaks of bird flu back in the 1980s. And so we're much better positioned. But our main message has been biosecurity first and foremost, and that has different implications for different people depending on what type of flock you may have. But that is that is our main message is that we have, we have the power within ourselves, if not to eliminate the spread, to control the spread by being responsible and being vigilant about biosecurity. That's got to be one of the things that, you know, we've we've stressed these last couple of months is that biosecurity. But what is kind of that main factor, you think, in migration season that has led to an uptick in, uh, you know, in cases this last month or so? Well, one of the things that with, with the bird illnesses that have generally been that the hotter the weather, the more the virus is suppressed. And so during the summer, once we got through that April and May period, 
started to see less activity. We didn't see it completely end, but the higher temperatures suppress the virus and make it much more, much more likely that we won't see the types of spread that we have. Once the weather started to turn colder, birds started to migrate more as we got toward the fall. That's when around September or so, we started to see an uptick of, um, of outbreaks across the state. And we have literally seen them from, from border to border on our western border in Washington County, Pennsylvania, east on the eastern border with New Jersey and Northampton County. The most recent outbreak was a, a chicken layer flock of 24,000 birds in Washington County, Maryland, but the control area and the surveillance zone for that extend into Pennsylvania. So our, you know, our Department of Agriculture and Industry and Academia have been partnering in other states with the uh, with the, the bird flu outbreaks, we had an outbreak in a live bird market in New York City, which I'm given to understand is a fairly rare event, but that had implications for sellers that might be selling into that market from out of state. So therefore, very important to stay up to date, and we've been working to provide information as, as we have it and as we're developing it from the Department of Ag and from industry so that anyone who is affected has access to those resources, which, which are fairly robust at the state level. But at the same time, folks are being stretched thinner and thinner as, as more outbreaks take place. We had, for example, a cluster of outbreaks in Lehigh County right before Thanksgiving in um, several large commercial turkey flocks, over 75,000 birds affected. And of course, you know, turkey pricing being a huge concern at the Thanksgiving time, but overall, uh, bird market availability and pricing has been affected by uh, by some of these outbreaks and the need to try to repopulate some of the supplies. I can talk a little bit more as we go along about some of the things that the state of Pennsylvania is doing and what Farm Bureau has been advocating in order to provide support for both the response to the outbreaks and then also to work on beginning to try to compensate the flock owners who have lost birds due to this. So just even from the very beginning stages of this, just to kind of, you know, refresh people, what are the main signs of high path avian influenza? And then how do you go about reporting? And what are those steps? Well, for flock owners of, of any size, whether it's a backyard flock or whether it's a commercial, uh, commercial flock of some type, always have to be able to look out for signs of, of different behavior in birds. Are they becoming sluggish or is there you know, a, a lack of movement, lack of, you know, lack of its normal activity? And then once that's done, what the Department of Ag has been doing in areas where there's been uh, positives confirmed for avian influenza, and sometimes it's a form of avian influenza that's not highly pathogenic at first, but if it's a strain that can develop into it, treat it the same way that we would uh, the strain that's highly pathogenic. But making sure that those resources are out there have also been counseling backyard flock owners because of the prevalence of wild birds spreading these diseases to bring those birds in. Do not leave out water or food that can attract wild birds. Try to keep them from mixing with any, any, um, you know, not any non-poultry flocks. Try to keep them from mixing with the poultry flocks. Just, you know, again, Whenever people are coming to the farm operation, you know, make sure that you know, if you have visitors, let them know that this is a biosecure area and what they need to do before entering the premises. Also, when exiting the premises, to make sure that you're wearing dedicated clothing, clean off any vehicles that may come in to prevent that spread. There are a lot of little things that can be done here that, that we've been trying to counsel people to do. 
and that uh, as as the spread is has moved moved forward, you know, we're learning more with with each response, and it helps to increase the robustness of the system. So if you come in to a uh, situation where you know high path avian influenza is detected, and then you have to depopulate a flock, uh, and then you know the control zones are set up from there. If you could explain the control zones, uh, how they work, how they're set up, and then you know what people that find themselves within a control zone, even though they're not affected, may you know some of the things they may have to do in that situation. Sure. Whenever whenever there is a whenever there is a case that is is tested, that'll be sent off to to the national laboratory for, for confirmation. But in that time, they will set up what's called a control, you know, control area and a surveillance zone. And those are buffer areas around a premises where a detection of avian influenza or you know, whatever avian illness might be has been set up. And then therefore there are requirements within that zone for movement of, uh, of birds within that. And then also, too, any other farms that are within the zone should also be vigilant as well so that there isn't any kind of spreading to other other operations. So we've got, you know, there are dedicated numbers, which we have on our website at pfb.com, on our HPI page, an email address to which producers or other, um, other flock owners can send those biosecurity plans in to get them reviewed, make sure that they are up to date, and then uh, be able to be able to continue to implement those. One of the other things that we're we're also hearing from the um, you know folks both in in academia and in the industry and government who have been responding to these uh, to these incidents and have had to go through and do the depopulation, the decontamination, is that company led responses have have been proven to be the best ones. So it's important to have a plan on site. I mean. Whenever, whenever officials get to your site, I mean, they're they're going to they're going to look at your operation. They're going to do what needs to be done at a given time. But it helps so much to have that plan in place and to have the producer or the affected premises take an active part in the response. Because again, it shows that commitment, and also it, it assists in being able to put together a system that helps to predict, prevent, or lessen these outbreaks in the future. Um, you know. Going forward, this is something I'm thinking of. Uh, you know, do you have any like type of insider trading with going forward here? Uh, any glimmer of hope and where you see this whole high path going? Um, do you, you know, the outlook for the farmers, uh, the outlook for just anything in general? Sure. I mean, we're, we're going to have this with us, I would think, through at least the next migration in the spring. So. For the for the foreseeable future, like this, these next you know, five to six months are, are going to be very critical, and then we'll be able to reevaluate in the spring as far as whether or not there are new strains coming in across the country and what's happening with the ones that are existing. But I think also too, you know, one of the one of the things that Pennsylvania has that's been very important is, according to Secretary Russell Redding at the, the Animal Health and Diagnostic Commission meeting last week, it said that Pennsylvania is the only state in the country that has a state level HPAI dedicated response that's been put in place. And, and in the last budget cycle, we had $6 million that went toward increased testing and surveillance and, and response, and another $25 million toward compensating producers for losses. Obviously, those are beginning amounts. There's going to more than likely be a need for more in the future. Just the just you know, looking at that twenty five million dollars in compensation that goes very very quickly and 
it's certainly not enough to make everyone whole, but it is a start and it's something that as we go into the new gubernatorial administration, new general assembly, certainly we'll be keeping that issue at the forefront, not only in terms of you know, the compensation, but also strengthening our response and how we can make that better, not just for HPAI or bird-related illnesses, but we look at things like swine fever, African swine fever, other you know, swine-related illnesses, and anything might be related to other types of livestock. So it's, it's a robust system that is set up to make sure that Pennsylvania continues to be an animal health leader among the states. And that uh, funding was, that was secured was a big deal for the state. And as you mentioned, Pennsylvania being the only state that has something like that, obviously it has a lot of advantages. And with it being a state that's so, you know, involved in the poultry industry, it's very important to to keep this and to be able to mitigate it as much as possible. Yeah, it's just, it's based on a recognition, and we benefit from the, from the work and, and the foresight of, of leaders from decades ago, both at Farm Bureau and within Pennsylvania state government and, and throughout the larger the larger poultry and, and livestock industry to create the Animal Health and Diagnostic Commission to make sure that we have you know, world-class facilities like like uh, the New Bolton Center at Penn Vet in, uh, in Kennett Square, the, the lab here in Harrisburg, the Pennsylvania Veterinary Lab, and then the lab at Penn State. And, and all of these groups have been doing yeoman's work throughout the outbreak. I mean, often working weekends, long hours, being able to take calls at, at odd times to be able to get samples tested, turned around, and then for producers to be able to take appropriate action based on that. Can't really say enough about, about the good work of those professionals throughout this process. You talked about the funding that you know went to the Animal Health and Diagnostics Committee and then as well as just being able to pay farmers back for losses and things like that. What are some of the other things that Farm Bureau, Farm Bureau has pushed to do? I know obviously those are two big things that we worked for in the state budget, but what are the things that Farm Bureau has done to really um, you know get the word out on this and to keep well, one of the things that I think that we've always done is, is be actively involved in these boards and commissions at the state level. For example, with the Animal Health and Diagnostic Commission, new, newly elected president Chris Hoffman was recently installed as or confirmed by the Senate as the new commissioner for swine on the commission. Glenn Stoltzfus, who's the head of our, our dairy committee and uh, the former board member, excuse me, former board member out of Somerset County will be on, on, on the livestock side of dealing with, the, dealing with cattle. So we've got you know, some very good and experienced people that are donating their time. And of course, Mr. Hoffman with all of his other responsibilities to take this on, we're very grateful for. But and again, you know, keeping that issue at the forefront, working again with the, uh, with the state legislative committees in both the House and the Senate, the agriculture committees, um, you know, making sure that at the, uh, at the PDA and both in the DEP level, too, that they have a good understanding of what, what the situation is in the field and in ways that, that they can assist in areas where we're seeing that improvements may be able to be made that we can do either from a legislative standpoint or through the regulatory process in the future. I know you had said this is something that you expect to be at least through the spring migration, um, the spring migration season. Uh, is there anything in particular that you see as far as when we may be able to, I guess, consider ourselves free of this? I know uh, Russell Redding, I believe, had said when he was on this podcast, you know, back when things really started ramping up, that he thought it would be 
anywhere between a 12 to 24 month or 18 to 24 month process? Like, what are you kind of gauging? I, I think I think from what what the secretary said originally, and I of course would not dispute the secretary on on this. I think he would I think he would be the guy that you would go to here. But I, I think that that's probably still. The, the time frame that we would, we would look at. Of course, we're now probably about you know eight months or so into that, twelve to twenty-four months. But it's it's never a situation where you can completely drop your guard, and that's again why the importance of having a good biosecurity plan and working that plan every day. So if you're implementing it all the time, when you have outbreaks and whenever you have incidents such as these, you're in a better position to respond. You'll never be you know, completely free and clear of that fear, but you know that you've got the, the policies, programs, and procedures in place to deal with it should it happen, and also the support from the network that's already been built at the state level that we continue to enhance. Pennsylvania was really struck hard by, uh, you know, turkey farms have really been hit hard by this right around Thanksgiving, which, you know, turkeys have a lot to worry about around that time of year. It's, but... it's, it's, yes, as if, if they needed another problem, but but that, that's exactly it. And again, supply, it, it's in people, people have seen at the grocery store throughout the year. I mean, it, it's been one of the major drivers in in pricing in the poultry area has been this, this lack of availability. And really, it, it, there isn't a corner of the United States that hasn't been touched by this. And, can, and we continue to see news from other states throughout, and they're dealing with the same problems. So it will be a, a long winter, but it will be one where you know we, we know the we know what works, and we know the we know the right things to do as long as we implement that plan and remain vigilant. Uh, you might have a better idea of this from a national standpoint, um, but what where do we kind of sit as far as I know we're one of the biggest states as far as poultry, but where do we sit as far as HPAI? Like, are we kind of in the middle of the middle of the road with this or do we seem to be infected more with it i know iowa was really bad for a while yeah, it, it seems as if you know some of some of the, the midwestern upper midwestern states have, have been hit very hard with this as well i i i mean it would be hard for me to be able to rank because i i haven't looked at those numbers state by state but i would imagine that if you, you did look at it we probably are one of the one of the states that has had you know one of the, the bigger concentrations of outbreaks simply due to our location you know, not, not just being the keystone state for, you know, like human transportation, but again, those, those flyways that come across the state, there's a great deal of activity and we have you know, such a robust wild bird community also that it makes it a, more of a challenge. Uh, is there any type, maybe this is kind of too broad of a question, but is there any type of uh, bird that has seemed to be more like perceptive to this disease or that you know of? I, I don't know the I don't know in terms of in terms of the prevalence of infection we have we have though again seen a, a lot of the spread has been due to wild birds and I think vultures in that area yeah, the number of times have been it's been reported that it's been a turkey vulture or a black vulture so again that that leads back into the issue of backyard flocks and for pe for people that have them to again understanding that you know you need to do what you do with your birds but it's an unnecessary risk, certainly at this time, to leave them out at any time that, that they don't really need to be out there, and also to make sure that there isn't anything that could be attracting those wild birds. That was particularly interesting too. A, uh, a story I had seen, you know, had talked about exotic birds and how 
there was a need to not necessarily depopulate those types of birds, which right. I thought was particularly fascinating. Uh, do you hear anything about that, that as far is, as? That is what we've seen. I mean, the, those, those non-poultry flocks have, have been handled differently. And of course, those are every bit as important for, for their owners as the commercial poultry that we've been, been doing. So with, with each one of these situations, you know, it's important to get that information to the professionals at the Department of Agriculture as possible so they can advise you if you have any questions about where you ought to be in terms of how you're responding. They can answer those quite quickly and they can make sure your plan is up to date or get you a plan or work with you to get a plan in place should you not have one. Um, and this might be something you already talked about and touched on. Um, but just again to repeat it, is there, what places are there where people can stay up to date, informed, um, and things like that? I know you have uh, your Twitter account that you share for us all the time. Um, you know, you can talk about that maybe and other places as well. Yeah, but I mean, I, whenever we get updates that are, that are urgent, I was trying to tweet those out at, at PFB Reg Affairs. And also we have an HPAI dedicated page on the Farm Bureau website. Uh, biosecurity is key to pre preventing avian influenza spread. Also, too, information is constantly available from the Department of Agriculture on their uh, their uh, PADLS website, Paddles, PA Diagnostic Laboratory System. It has a map which has active control areas and surveillance zones. We'll show you around the state what what is currently active and then you can you can look on that map and you can get a good idea of whether or not you have a premises that might be within the control area or surveillance zone of any of these particular outbreaks and then you can act accordingly so there's a great deal of information out there and we'll continue to make that available through all of our channels here at farm bureau as uh, as events warrant and at this point what do you think the next steps are for this like is this something you think is going to get worse before it gets better, or do you kind of see it as just continuing to play out here and there? And I see it sort of ebbing and flowing throughout the winter because that's that's sort of what we've seen where we had maybe a, you know, a couple week period there before Thanksgiving where it's you know we had some areas that were be that had been depopulated that had been decontaminated and then were ready to be reopened and. It seems like almost every time that we get down to where we just have, right now currently we have two zones. I think we have one in Dauphin County, and then we have the one on the Maryland border, uh, which which extends into into Pennsylvania from Washington County, Maryland. So I think that's probably what we're going to end up seeing is you know we'll see you know periods of relative calm, but then suddenly you know, maybe you know two or three you know things pop out of time. That seems to be what's happened during the fall. And I don't have any reason to expect it'll be too much different during the winter. I hope it'll be the lows will get longer, the outbreaks will get shorter to the point where we can say that you know we got it to a controlled situation. Uh, at this point, Grant, is there anything you think that uh, people need to know that haven't hasn't been touched on, or anything that is important to? high path prevention that you think needs to be shared? I think just every everything goes back to staying vigilant. I mean, we always talk about, you know, what you know, what Farm Bureau members do in their communities to, to make the environment a better place. This is another part of, of that in terms of, you know, how they how we help our communities by making sure that we stay vigilant, we have good plans in place, and that whenever problems do strike, you know, we have the resources in place and we know, we know where to go and, and what to do. 
And again, it's it's a way that the member shows again that the good stewardship that that farmers have always shown throughout Pennsylvania and throughout the country. And and this is another way for us to do that. All right, Grant. Well, thanks for taking the time to uh, catch everybody up to speed about avian influenza and you know giving us all this uh, good information that you have. And, and thanks for the hard work that you put into monitoring this and uh, continuing to get this out. No, thank you guys, and I want to thank all the members out there that are, are doing good work. And also, you know, we appreciate what you're doing, and thank you for all the help that you give us here in uh, helping to respond whenever situations like this arise. If you enjoyed this episode of Farm Focus, please subscribe. More episodes are on the way, and all of our past episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on Podbean at pfbcast.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.